So uh, what I wanted to talk about today, actually, Johnny will attest that this is actually indeed true. I came up with the title before I came up with the content. Is that true, Johnny, or not? Indeed. Indeed it is. So um, I, um, I wanted to analyze something kind of a broad topic in, in Jewish life and practice, uh, which is something that we come back to again and again. Uh, and that is the idea. It's somewhat related to Passover. Passover is next week, but it's not Passover-centric. I know that Johnny spoke about Passover. I'm not going to drive you guys crazy with Passover. Uh, but we, we know that in our liturgy uh, in, and in our Jewish holidays, there's lots of events, lots of mitzvahs that we say are zecher liyetziat mitzrayim, that are remembrance, a memorial to leaving Egypt. And Jewish life seems to make a very big deal by the fact that the Jews left Egypt. For example, the holiday of Passover, we say, there's eight days that we celebrate. We say that we're doing this whole festive event. It's a major, significant event in the Jewish holiday. And we say that this we're doing to remember the exodus from Egypt. And that's indeed, obviously, it's the same time of year. Um, eight days to celebrate, to, rem- to remember the exodus. Fast forward a month and a half, you have the holiday of Shavuos, right? Also, we say, to remember leaving Egypt. You fast forward to Rosh Hashanah. What's Rosh Hashanah? Remember, it's that's part of the uh, the liturgy and and the uh, and the kiddush. You say Zechel Tzitzim Shrine and Sukkot, another seven or eight day holiday, depends where you live. Uh, and we say that's a member of, of 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 leaving Egypt. Not only that, twice a day Jews are commanded morning and night to remember leaving Egypt. That's why we say the Shema in the morning and the Shema in the evening. What is this obsession with this one event that happened 3,300 years ago? Like, why can we just move on? This, this, this other—it's an important thing, of course. The Jews were enslaved, and then they and then they left. But similarly, why the Jews. Why we keep coming back to Egypt specifically, and, and to the Exodus of Egypt? It's it's everywhere you go in, in Jewish life and Jewish practice. We. What are you saying, Gary? No, uh, we just keep leaving and coming back. No, we we left. <laughs> we haven't gone back. In fact, there's in, in fact there's a prohibition against living. There's actually a prohibition against moving back to live in, in Egypt. To live there, yeah. Maimonides used to sign his letters signed by someone who commits who, who transgresses three sins every day by living and living in Egypt. So there's he also lived there. Yeah. Well, so there's you know there's. There's reasons why they deem it necessary. But uh, why is this one event so significant, so crucial, so pivotal, so important to Jewish life that we have to talk about it every day, twice a day, every couple of months, we have another holiday, and that is the primary theme of the holiday. That's the question I want to start with. Anyone has any ideas, want to share, or should we move on? Ron, what do you say? <laughs> I think I think mainly it is. Wait, I can. I think uh, it's because Hashem truly revered, revealed Himself to the whole world and to a whole nation, and was very hands-on. There's a cloud. There's a manna from heaven. There's the plagues. Like hands-on, just intervening with life. So therefore. So therefore, it's very important, and we should remember that every single day. Why is it important? 
See, that's what I do, by the way. When someone like has an amazing answer to their question, I just like I can just sit down now. Okay, we're done. Everyone go home. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I'll say your point a little bit later. This is, but this that actually I agree with every every word that you said. Terrific. Excellent. Okay, so that's what. So that's that, Dan. I hope to revisit it. But um, what I specifically wanted to talk about that was a question because it's related to Passover and we related to what we talk about a little later on, hopefully. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about is the idea of a mitzvah. Everyone here, we know that yesterday there was the Yad Mitzvah Day. Who went to the Yad Mitzvah Day? Oh, yeah. Okay, everyone went to that. So everyone is familiar with the term mitzvah. Uh, who knows how many mitzvahs, how many mitzvahs are there in the Torah? How many Torah that's a mitzvah. One overtime. They need to run. Six hundred thirteen, right? Six hundred thirteen. It's a great game, though. How? Okay, so everyone, everyone, be six hundred thirteen mitzvahs. That's uh, that's and that's what. You're hundred percent. How do you remember that there's six hundred thirteen mitzvahs? There's a song. There's a song. Really? Yeah. So I'll teach you. I'll teach you a little trick. How do you remember it? So we, there's a there's a this verse at the beginning of Deuteronomy that says Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. You heard of that? Torah was commanded to us by Moses. Uh, if you take a look at the gematria, the numerical value of the word Torah, it's six hundred and eleven. Six hundred eleven, and we know Actually, that that was the class that your brother gave when I. Oh well, that's the the, the, the Talmud says is that the yeah. reason why Torah six hundred and eleven is because Torah was commanded us by Moses, but there were two commandments. The first of the two of the ten, the first two of the ten commandments were given by the Almighty Himself. When the Jewish people had the supernatural experience, Revelation at Sinai, they got ten commandments. The first two of them, they actually had prophecy. And that's how they were able to consume that information. As opposed to the final eight, the latter eight, and the rest of the mitzvahs were actually given to them by... Uh, by so I guess my brother is plagiarizing my uh, ideas. <laughs> Nothing new there. Uh, so we have a lot of mitzvahs, and we know that, remember, we're claiming that these mitzvahs are given to us by God Almighty himself, creator of heaven and earth, right? Obviously, the greatest intelligence that could possibly exist. Intelligence that creates an ecosystem, creates uh, 8.7 million species that are able to procreate on their own, an incredible intelligence. And if these mitzvahs were given specifically for us for a specific purpose, there has to be a lot of insight behind it. Like, it cannot be a mere ritual that we're doing because we were doing it from time immemorial, because that's what it says in this ancient book, but it has no relevance to us. So what I wanted to examine today is what exactly are the mitzvahs supposed to do to us? Like we're doing mitzvahs. Why are we doing them? What's the point? What, what are we going to gain? What's the Almighty thinking? Is he just trying to get us to do things mindlessly and to just do the mitzvahs, this is what I say, and shut up about it? Maybe. There's legitimacy to that argument. Don't overthink the matter. You, you, know, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and that, you know, that take, it, take it or leave it, so to speak. Uh, but I believe there's room for a more sophisticated outlook. We have mitzvahs. They clearly are not just empty rituals. It's not something that we're de- we, we, we do because that's some legend or some folk or something that, that, was, that the Jews were doing for years before they were, you know, before they were domesticated, so to speak, or sophisticated, uh, when they were just in caves wearing tefillin. Uh, you know, they, found, uh, they, found, they actually found tefillin in the caves in Qumran. Qumran is very significant because... 
It's in south uh, south uh, eastern Israel by the Dead Sea, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they found they found, but and the reason why it's such as it's the most significant archaeological discovery of all time because they found documents that were two thousand years old that were in pristine condition because it's so dry there that the, and there's never any rain that it was never impacted. There's no, there's no moisture in the or nothing. So it's perfectly readable. Like they found hundreds and hundreds of scrolls and they all... Yeah, is that right? There's a website you can see, you can read it, they and they found every every book of the Jewish Bible. They found copies of every book of the Jewish Bible besides for one. Yeah, so they, and they explain that there's in the Tiffany box, there's these scrolls. Yeah. So, yeah, so they did discover. They discovered. 23 out of 24 books of the Jewish Bible, and they also discovered a lot of a lot of tefillin. And the tefillin, if you take tefillin, if you if you take the tefillin from the cave in Qumran and you compare it with tefillin worn today in Israel or in Houston, they're identical. The black boxes. There's four. There's four compartments on the on the shell rosh on on, on the on the tefillin. The phylactery is fancy word in English of the head and. One compartment of the phylactery in the same scroll, same position. Incredible. That's why. It was like a weird thing, though. I mean, it was like an all-male group or whatever. Yeah, these people were like apocalyptic, and they had their own apocryphal writings. Uh Uh, They had like, um, they had uh, like, the end is coming, let's not procreate, and that will guarantee our survival, uh, which is a mistake. That's probably the... the, the, um, Scholars argue that's why they went extinct because they were very like they made they were Jews but they lived like a, like a very uh, self uh, limiting lifestyle. So and they were sure the end is near, and they wrote their own books about this apocalypse. So they're they're gone. Either way, so our mitzvahs are not something that people were just doing in caves when we were caving. It's given to us by God. If it's given to us by God, there has to be a reason. And what we're going to try to do today is not going to not specifically to analyze every individual mitzvah, but in general, we have a lot, we have mitzvahs, but we also have lots and lots and lots of them. Six hundred and thirteen. We have a lot. So some for some reason, the Almighty decided that whatever end He wanted to accomplish with mitzvahs. He needed 613 of them. Otherwise, he would have done less, or maybe maybe you would have done more. Or this is the number, and it seems like a lot. If the Almighty wants us to to do something and achieve a certain result, well, why does it have to be that there's so many things that we need to do in order to achieve the result? So that's what I wanted to analyze, and I collected several sources, Jewish sources. I made a source sheet, and there's one here for everyone. If you want uh, one, you're welcome to look at it. If you don't want one, that's also fine. Uh, either way, if I'm getting boring, you have something to look at, to read, to fill uh, all the O's. You know, fill, color in all the O's. And <laughs> you don't need the pen. I have an extra pen here. <laughs> you want a pen? That's what I do. Like when... Oh, 
so I want to start with the first. Uh, the, I, I usually don't like doing source sheets, but I figure there's going to be a lot of uh, individual ideas that I want to cover, and it's just easier if you're able to visualize them. So source number one is from the Talmud, in a book called uh, not only that one, that's fine. I need this one. In a book called Makros, Makrot, Makrot means uh, beatings. Talks about uh, times people need to get beaten up. Talks about enforcement, enforcement of law. And at the end, it says, Rabbi Hanina said, this is from a Mishnah, the Almighty sought to benefit the Jews, therefore he he increased for them Torah and mitzvahs. So this seems like it could be interpreted in many, many, many ways. The Almighty seeks our benefit, therefore he gives us a lot of requirements, a lot of restrictions, a lot of laws. And the first question I would ask is, the opposite maybe is true. The more laws you have... The more opportunity you have to fail. Exactly. And, and if there's so many requirements, then there's just more opportunity, more risk. More opportunity to trip up. What could it possibly mean when we say that the Almighty wants to, to, do benefit, to benefit for us and He gave us so many restrictions and so many requirements and so many obligations? What do you say, Mo? Uh, <laughs> Wise and reflective. Rabbi Johnny, what do you say? Um, it's, a good, it's a good question. I will say just believe in us. Just what? Just believe in us. Just believe in, in us, what, that? People... Oh, you have more confidence. You have more confidence in humanity. What do you mean? We're more pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. What? You, you say you don't need rules. No. No, what he's saying, like, what he's saying is, like, be more confident that people could follow a lot of rules. Right? You'll be amazed at how much you could actually accomplish if you set your mind to it. I like that. Ron, what did they tell you in the army? Right? What? They tell you like this. They tell you, you better start doing push-ups. I can't do any more push-ups. We'll do it anyhow. Push yourself. Uh, but that's physical. <laughs> that when you set your mind to something, you can do the impossible, whatever seems impossible. Oh, I guess. Oh, maybe. Okay. Uh, anyone has anything else they want to propose? Well, I think that Ron's question is legitimate, and I brought two proofs for it. Uh, number two. So this is a very interesting statement. In, uh, also from the Talmud, and this is from Hidushin 31b, Rabbi Yochanan says, what did he say? It's better to never meet your parents. It's better to grow up as an orphan. And we know that being an orphan is not pleasant. You don't really have someone, you know, watching your back. But it's better to be an orphan because the requirements of honoring your parents are so stringent and the risk of, uh, and the punishment for neglecting them is so severe. We know that, that the, that the, Honoring your parents is one of the Ten Commandments. It's it's one of the pillars of our faith. It's so important. And even if your parents are crazy, uh, they, they're, they're nuts. There's a stories in the Talmud that this guy's mother, she spat in his face in front of all his friends. And he just accepted it. And that's an example of where you have to, even if your parents are totally crazy, you have to still respect them. Right? Because that's the, that's the degree of, 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 of honor you have to do your parents. So it's better to never have parents. I think what a kind of alarming statement that is. How shocking is that? We're telling someone, it's, we're making a declaration, it's better to grow up as an orphan. You're on your own. You have to face life's challenges by yourself. 
but at least you're spared from the re- requirement of having to honor your parents. So that seems to fly in the face of the previous statement. Let's just give them lots and lots and lots of requirements, well, lots of obligations, well, and then... We're the chosen people. He's challenging us. I'm sorry? We're the chosen people. He's challenging us to do his, you know, we both think I he's challenging us to see if we can do it. Well, uh... Yeah, you know what comes to mind? When uh, Jacob is meeting Asa, we know that Jacob is all worried, right? He's going to meet Asa. The commentaries ask, Jacob, what are you worried about? You're you're the chosen one, right? Like Matt was saying. You're the you're clearly the one to continue the Jewish lineage. You're the one that's going to be the father of the 12 tribes. You're the one that's been learning Torah. You're afraid of your brother Asa? So if I'm not mistaken, there is a commentary that says, I think, that Jacob was worried about the merit that his twin brother Asaph, the wicked one, had in the fulfillment of this mitzvah of Kippurah Ba'em. Because it is a known fact that Asaph, wicked though he was, and he was in the field killing, murdering, raping, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal degree of Kippurah Ba'em for his father Isaac. And Isaac knew this. And even though Isaac knew of Asaph's wickedness, Isaac still considered giving the blessing and the birthright to Asaph because there was a potential there. So look at the incredible power of this mitzvah of, of Kibbutz So that So the way your point underscores the idea where to the degree of difficulty that there is in accomplishing a certain mitzvah, that it is commensurate to that is the reward that you would get. It means if someone tells you to do something that's not such a big deal to do, well, what did you actually have to accomplish? What did you have to give up, compromise? What did you have to forfeit? How much effort did you have to you know, expend to actually accomplish that? Not so much. But if you fulfilled the requirement to honor your parents fit, uh, properly, well, that would go a long way. Because commensurate to the degree of effort, that's the degree of reward. I like that. Good point, Johnny. Uh... Okay, but I still think the question is still valid. On one hand, we're saying we'd rather not have it. We don't want this requirement because this requirement is, you know, poses such a tremendous risk. And similarly, you could say we don't want so many hundreds of requirements because that also uh, magnifies or multiplies the, the opportunity for us to have a misstep. And, and, and those missteps are something we want to avoid. Let's have one mitzvah. That's the one mitzvah. It's kind of what Adam had. Adam had one mitzvah. That's all he had. Uh, and he failed with his one mitzvah. But would it be easier? All we had was one mitzvah? Well, you can only screw up in one way. You only need to concentrate on one thing. Uh, so the question is still legitimate. Let's move on to uh, number three. Listen to this. Talmud, once again from Erevin. The rabbis taught. For two and a half years, the stools of Shammai and Hillel debated. We're all familiar with Hillel. Hillel had a counterpart. His name was Shammai. who was somewhat less... Uh, preserved from antiquity, but Shammai was uh, the sparring mate, the uh, the partner uh, that Hillel had. But they were, de- and they each developed their own school of, of 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 students, and they were debate constantly. They were like uh, two philosophies, and we know Hillel because Hillel was so much nicer. And uh, when the Gentile came to Hillel and says, "I want to study all of Torah while standing on one foot," what did he tell him? Very good. Love your love your fellow as yourself. We're all, we're all familiar with that story, but what happened a little bit earlier in the story? He came to Shammai. 
So this Gentile walks in the door to Shammai and he says to him, I want to study all of Torah, all 60 books of the Mishnah, all 2,711 pages of Talmud, all 5,845 verses of the, uh, of the Bible. I want it all while standing in one leg. And he says to him, get the hell out of here before I shoot you. He started pulling out his gun. And then he comes to Hill and Hill tells him, you know what, go on one foot. And Hill was much nicer. And uh, that's one of the reasons why Hillel is, uh, whenever there's a debate between Hillel and Shammai, we always go with Hillel. Either way, uh, the Talmud records a, fa- uh, a fascinating argument that existed amongst these two schools of, school of thought. And how long were they debating, for, debating it? For two and a half years, there was this massive debate between the, the schools of Shammai and Hillel. Uh, some of them said, we don't know who's who. It's very interesting that the Talmud doesn't record who's who. It says, some of them say, it's better for a person to not have been created. We're better off if we don't have the opportunity to succeed and we don't have the chance of failure. That was one, one, uh, one, up, uh, one side. And the other side said it's better for a person to have it created, that even though there's actually a risk of, of failure, but the, 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 the odds of success outweigh the risk. And eventually they came to a truce and they agreed after many two and a half years of debate they agreed that it's better for a person to have not been created. Now, now what this means is that I had two and a half years of debate. It's an important point here. Sorry for being a little too quickly. They weren't like, oh, yeah, um, you know that project, that little book I was writing? I've been writing it for two and a half years, but really it's been like a day and a half. Like, I, 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 have, I have a book I started writing. I, one day I sat down and I wrote down 2,000 words, which is a, which is a lot. And it's actually fine. This is the book. If I do 2,000 words a day, uh, 60,000 words is just a month. problem is that was uh, like three months ago. And since then, I haven't done any work. Uh, don't think that when they were debating for two and a half years, they would argue sporadically about it. No, this was a debate. This was an ongoing debate. I don't know if they were arguing about it all the time. But this was a major debate. And everyone bought proofs, and they were trying to argue it out. And it was an entire battle to determine, is it better for us that we're here or not? Are we better off alive or dead? And that, I think it's a legitimate question today. You know, People today are dealing with tons of struggles and tons of challenges. And uh, how many people in the world actually make, uh, you know, actually accomplish all their goals and, 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 and leave this world with a feeling of uh, contentment for actually doing everything that they set out to do? Not so many. So the, the debate could, could go on. But either way, after two and a half years of debate, what they agreed upon, it's better for a person to have not been born, to have not been, been created. Once he's created, he should examine his actions. Once you're here, well, you're here against your will. This is just, no one decided to be born. No one made a decision. Oh, I want to join planet Earth and be an Earthling, be a humanoid. No one said that. You're here against your will. We're all here against our will. And, we, and we're just presented with challenges, and we have to just do the best with, what, with the cards we're dealt. It's not, it's, not, it's not up to us whether or not we're here, but once we're here, we can try to you know, determine our, our future. Well, we see clearly that it's better for us to have not been created. Why? Because the risks outweigh the benefits. Seemingly, the risks of doing bad, of running afoul, outrisk. Uh, outweigh the risk or the potential benefit of doing good. So what is the meaning behind this uh, enigmatic statement that the reason why we have mitzvahs, nay, we have so many mitzvahs is because uh, it's just the Almighty wanted to do merit for us. I think the question is a legitimate question and I'm very disturbed by this question. 
happy to see everyone else here as, as well. <laughs> no, the, the, um, the conclusion is kind of small. I'm, I'm surprised by the, co the conclusion was that you're, it's better not to have been created. I mean, uh, it's pessimistic. Okay, very. So we should stop procreating because. No, well, well, no. It's we we don't have a choice to stop procreating. Once you're here, you're you're. It's a mystery. Yeah, you have to. Uh, once you're here, you're here. You have to play by the rules. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, to me, like it's not that bad. Like we don't really have like a concept of like burning in hell for eternity, the way like Baptists do. I mean, basically, all Jews have a place in the world to come. And if you do a great job at the six hundred thirteen, maybe you're you know you have a closer. Spiritual connection to Hashem or whatever, but so you're saying it's only a marginal difference. It's marginal. I'm sure it's a good. You know, I'm sure that like you know the ultra orthodox are doing. You know, oh, don't, don't, I'm, just, I'm, just saying, like, I'm just saying that like, we're all the places we'll become. Like it doesn't seem like that. So you're saying once you have your foot in the door, who cares if you're sitting in the nosebleeds? At least I'm there. Right. At least I'm there. I'm 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 I don't have front court seats, I'm not but at least you get the I'm not burning eternal hell. That's all. Like it's not like that. We don't have that. Um, well, it doesn't right, seem that bad. Like, the rest about the word eternal, because hell, Geinam, is meant to be a cleansing process for all of our neshamot to reach that designated place, like you just mentioned. But we all have a place in the world to come. That's that's what it says. Every Jew has a place in the world to come. Right. Every non-Jew as well, if they follow the seven Noahide yeah. laws. But Geinam, you're right. Eternal? No. But. Uh, but and, and in Jewish philosophy, if someone ends up in what's called Gehenom or Purgatory, it's actually a very good place. Because I don't want to talk too much about what happens after you die, because I will be here for a long time. But after you die, one of three things could happen to you. One of them is very, very good. One of them is very good. And one of them is very bad. And the really, very good very one... Bad. Yeah, well, very bad, because... Because it's not very good, but still. No, it is pretty bad because it's it's when someone does not accomplish what they need to accomplish in life, then they have to go back and do it again. So it's not bad, yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah, you're thinking, oh, I like it here. I love it You know what it's like? Okay, who here? Is there a list of things? Who here? Okay, I'm going to ask a question. About everyone has to give an honest answer. Yeah, is that a fair deal? Yes. Or you to recuse? But um, who here has been playing? 2048. What? Oh, I played it today for the first time. What is, what is it? It's this game. The goal is to get 2,048 points. You're working in powers of two. It, it looks like a Sudoku board. My, my co-worker introduced me to it today. And it is very addictive. Yes, it's a You are very... literally just putting numbers together in powers of two, trying to get to the num trying to work your way to 2,048 points. Okay, so um, I, I was only bringing well, that as an example. Okay, but let's ask this question again. Who here has played... Um, Flappy Bird. <clears throat> oh, Flappy Bird. Temple Run. Everyone's played Temple Run? Oh, Zelda. Something like Zelda. Angry Birds. I think it's... it's but let's say... I, I'm, I'm not trying to get into everyone's... <laughs> My point is like this. You know when you're playing a game and you're so close to the finish line and then you get out and you have to start a little beginning? Yeah. Pretty frustrating, right? That's what it's like. It's like... Well, you're talking about the person you've been putting effort in to find the misvote. 
like yeah, but still, he, because the reason why you're saying that and why people think that is because they're not talking from the soul's perspective. To the soul, there is no less hospitable place than a man's body. In fact, the Talmud says that the soul wants to leave every single second. It cannot stand it. And it, it's, an, it's an absolute abject misery. Yeah, but we think we have a very body-centric outlook on life. So we think, that's oh, pretty good. I'm not bad. We eat pizza. We're schmoozing. It's, it's fun, right? It's, it's and it, For the body, it's a pretty good place. But this place uh, is, is very hospitable to the body, not so much to the soul. So I agree with you. It doesn't seem intuitive, but if you read the books of Jewish philosophy, they talk about these things in great detail. It seems like it's very, very bad. I don't know. Uh, I hope we'll never find out. You know, hope only good stuff will happen to us. Either way, what, 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 how do we get here? I don't remember how we got here. I, I, I distracted you. Oh, we're trying to. Oh, because oh, you were saying marginal, yes. So I, I don't think so. I think I think that it's actually magnified a thousand a thousand fold. Um, just like saying, well, I could be unemployed and get welfare, and I could kind of make my way through life, or I could, you know, have a fancy car, fancy house, and real, and you know, and a, and a golf stream. But you'll survive. Is anyone in America dying of hunger? You'll have some shelter. You can live in a, you know, a shelter. Obviously, I'm not. I'm, I'm just trying yeah. to bring out your point. You can live. You're alive. You have a shelter. You have no family, but you have food. You get, you, yeah. People are giving you food. Donate, donate to you food, right? Yeah. So it's not bad, right? That's I mean, the person with the Maserati is not necessarily happy. Either. Not necessarily, but that argument is a very bad argument. Why? Because we all know. No, we want to make a life. We want to accomplish yeah. a life. Just being in the building is not enough for us. Right. So similarly, I think uh, it, it don't, while you're right. And I think we'll bring to your, we'll come to your point again that everyone has a portion of wealth to come. Everyone has a foot in the door. It doesn't mean everyone's the same. It doesn't mean that there's, there's nothing to strive for. Okay, so let's let's try to attempt here an answer. I, I collected three answers. Um, I think there's probably more answers, uh, but this these are answers that are going to answer both questions. Number one, why so many mitzvahs? And number two, um, number two. Uh, are, are mitzvahs good for us or bad for us? You know, it seems like it's more of a risk. Like, uh, like Ron says. So let, let's see what Rashi says. This is a Rashi is a commentator, uh, 11th century France commentator on on the Talmud of the Torah and, and the Bible, everything. He commented, commented on everything. And he says as follows. So he's explaining the statement. What does he say? The Amayas ought to benefit the Jews so that they will receive reward when they abstain from sin. Therefore, he increased for them, even though he needn't, many prohibitions against consumption of bugs and insects, even though people do not desire them. For the sole reason of them receiving reward from abstaining from them. So what he's saying is a, a few points here. Number one, there's positive and negative commandments in the Torah. Negative commandments are don't do this, don't do that. There's three negative commandments, not to consume blood. Who likes eating blood? Most people don't. It doesn't taste that good. So why does the Imani need to forbid it for us? Because he's doing us a favor. Every second that you're abstaining from consumption of blood, he's, you know, right, it's a mitzvah. We were saying earlier, that's not hard to do, so we don't really feel well, anything Well, still, it. but you're, 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 you know, you, it, yeah, it might not be as great as doing something which is a challenge for you, but you're still accruing mitzvahs every second. Do you like eating bugs? Are you even tempted by eating bugs? Are you tempted by consumption of of, uh, of slimy crunchies? Slimy, crunchy, <laughs> slimy, crunchy, crunchy, maybe. Not slimy. 
night. They eat this stuff in the Far East, no? Yeah. They do. They do. Yeah. Like a scorpion. How do they do it? Well, they're thinking that it makes you a stronger man by eating like worms. Well, no, what they what they do, uh, they do shots of blood. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, but so what? I'm still not tempted. You know, it's protein content notwithstanding. Certain kinds of locusts, because they're kosher. Um, still not tempted, but. And he was eating locusts. Like they have, uh, they don't have matzo ball soup. They have like locust soup. Just like locust crunching. Okay, so this is a legitimate answer. He says there's lots of things in the Torah that we would never consider doing. Um, there's a mitzvah, for example, thou shalt not murder. It's a very famous mitzvah. It's, but most people aren't even tempted by it. But you still get a mitzvah by, by abstaining from it. And this is a crucial point, that abstaining from a prohibition is equivalent to doing a mitzvah. You don't have to do something positive to do a mitzvah. As long as you refrain from doing something negative, you're also getting a mitzvah. So there's lots of mitzvahs out there, lots of negative mitzvahs. In fact, there's even more negative mitzvahs than positive mitzvahs, 365 to 248. And there's so many things that we wouldn't do anyway, and we're still commanded not to do it, only for the sole purpose of, 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 uh, of, of having a reward. The money knows we're not tempted by it. We still, uh, we still get a mitzvah. Um, sounds wonderful, right? Why can't there be an award? Why, did, why, why does there have to be a frivolous restriction in order to get a reward? Why does that have to be a, a, frivolous? Like a frivolous? What do you mean frivolous? Prohibition. Like, against something they wouldn't do anyways. That's exactly the point of the Mishnah. There, has, there doesn't have to be... Yeah, I'm not saying the point of the Mishnah. I'm asking a question. So oh, yeah, I'm okay. The point of the Mishnah. <laughs> 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 not happening. What I'm asking is, why does God have to put in the prohibition to get... To give us the reward. Why doesn't he just give us the reward? For free. Well, that's, that's a very good question, but the question could be expanded. Okay. So don't. So your question is a good question. It says, hey, the Almighty, the Almighty wants to do good for us. That premise is the premise on which almost all of Jewish philosophy is based. And it deals with a much grander question. Hey, wait a minute. The Almighty doesn't need anything that we're doing for him. If you accept the Jewish definition of God, you're by definition accepting that we cannot improve his situation. So doing a mitzvah, praying, studying his Torah, those things have uh, no impression upon him. He doesn't get more uh, infinite. He doesn't change. So all of the mitzvahs that we have are for us. Why? So what are we getting out of it? Uh, we gain the fact that through our mitzvahs we're able to have a better life, have a better life, a, a physical, but also a spiritual, eternal better life. And the Almighty wants to do good for us, so he enabled us to have an opportunity to access that pleasure. That's Jewish philosophy on one leg. Back to that one leg. Uh, but your question is presented in the grander scale. Wait a minute. If God just wants to do good for us, then let us download the pleasure 
and let's just and, and why do we need to go through this whole life and this whole struggle and have to create all the cosmos and the world? Just give us pleasure. Create humans, give them pleasure. That's it. Why does there why does there have to be the the opportunity for someone to not get it and to only get it if you earn it? That's your basically your question. Right. So the answer that's the traditional answer brought down on the midrash is that is the idea called um, bread uh, shameful bread. Nahama de kisufa. Nahama is Aramaic for bread, and kisufa is shame. The point is, is that if you just get freebies, it can never be as pleasurable as if you earn it yourself. So they might could have indeed just given us, given us, just given us goodness, pleasure, but it never will be as sweet as if we actually toiled and sweated to accomplish that. But the point is, the freebies. We're talking about about the frivolous stuff, like the things that are so easy, we're not even tempted to. We're not working. Oh, uh, okay. Saying if it's a freebie, should we derive pleasure from the fact that we don't eat blood? So you're saying like this. This is okay. This is a question here. Okay, I like this question. He's like this. If anyhow we're not going to eat it, so the money is anyhow giving us the 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 quarter quarter freebie. It's not really freebie. It's not really a free. It's much easier to get. It's not a freebie in the far east. <laughs> no, the Havashi's presenting it as a free. No, I would, I would, I would uh, suggest maybe it's like an obstacle course for you know when you train kids or you train anybody. You have some things are easier. The first obstacles are easier steps, and the more you grow, you have harder and harder things. So you can develop yourself while you're at it. So something, the first step, you have to have some very easy steps in the beginning to get you started, and then gradually work harder. But. I, yeah, I like that. I like that. But I think there's another point that you're saying, well, let, let us have some stuff that are just free. Well, we do. How much do you have free? Like, did you work to earn? You're able to see, right? Is that a freebie? Did you do something to earn it? That's a wonderful gift the Almighty gave you, right? Do you remember? Maybe I did do something to earn it. Maybe. I, I didn't. It's a, you know, we have so many freebie gifts. Well, we, we know that kids are born. They have accomplished nothing. And they're giving an incredible machine that's able to digest. Incredible. It's able to just take all the nutrients and separate the minerals and nutrients that they need and send the, the, the heart pumping and the, the whole infrastructure. Uh, more pipes carrying blood than if you lay them end over end than all the highways and interstates and roads in the world we all have in our bodies. That was a freebie. So we do have tons of freebies. We do have, uh, but there's the money just piled on mitzvahs, you know, just to add even more. Does that satisfactorily answer your question? You still want to free. You still want to be able to taste those frogs. <laughs> is that is that really what you want? You want the frogs? Yeah. <laughs> what, you, what you do is you go to the uh, Mo's rabbi in uh, yeah, in New Orleans. In New Orleans yeah. and, I don't want like the unnecessary position of structure. Like why? Oh, it's oh, it's resistant recalcitrance. Yeah, it's resisting authority. I have a few kids like that also. They uh, they <laughs> what recalcitrance? Oh, thank you, thank you. That's uh, why I learned it. So, would you get a compliment like that? <laughs> um, but uh, you're saying you don't want the requirement 
even though you would never want to transgress it, now that I, I like I know I, I know my kids could probably get it from me that uh, the idea of someone imposing authority is something which is anathema to them. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's maybe that maybe that's where you earn it specifically because it is a requirement and that does create a little bit of friction, a little bit of challenge. It's like our artificial inorganic challenge, but it's still a challenge. So maybe there's where you actually earn your stripes. Either way, I like your question. It's a good question. Uh, but Rashi uh, would help us a lot in answering our question. He says, listen, what this Mishnah is saying, all it's saying is that there's there's lots of you know, forbidden uh, things in the Torah that we would never in a million years commit anyhow. So why do you want to do so many mitzvahs in the Torah? More opportunities for us to have reward. Now, this doesn't really answer um, all, I'm saying, why we have so many mitzvahs, because this only answers negative commandments. Correct? Positive commandments are things that we can't just sit, sit around and we would have done them anyhow. Probably not. You would have wore tefillin anyhow, even though so, you would have wore tzitzis anyhow. I don't, I don't know, could you, the argument doesn't seem like it would it would work for positive commandments as well. So the same the question, I think, could still be posed, why do we have so many positive commandments? And that's uh, why I, I think we could look at the next two answers and maybe gain some insight and maybe eventually at the end get the golden ticket uh, on which the class title was based. <laughs> so um, we have a Zohar. Whenever we say Zohar, I think it's, uh, it's always Kabbalah. It's always, um, it's, it's like Jewish mysticism. And I don't know anything about Jewish mysticism, and I'll readily admit that. Uh, but this idea is not a, it's not a mystical idea. It's just the source, uh, one of the sources is in the Zohar, while other sources are elsewhere in, uh, in you know, the Talmud. So it's not like a mystical idea, so I'll feel comfortable sharing that with you. And that is, uh, it's just, brought, it's written very nice, very cleanly here. A person has 248 limbs in his body corresponding to the 248 positive commandments in the Torah and 365 sinews corresponding to the 365 negative commandments in the Torah. Uh, and if you look elsewhere in the Mishnah, the Mishnah delineates what are the exactly these 248 uh, limbs. Like it goes through limb by limb and tells you what limb is what. Limb is what. And there's another book written in the 17th century um, and which tells you which mitzvah corresponds to which limb. The idea being, or, uh, the, the, the overarching idea of this, of this theme is that every mitzvah corresponds to a certain part of our body. I.e., every mitzvah is uh, attached, associated, perfecting a certain aspect of who we are. We are imperfect. You see a child being born, and you can just readily see that there's so much that they need to fix already. They're, they're fresh, out of the box. It's like when you open up uh, an electronics and you plug it in, it doesn't work. We just bought this. We just brought it back from the hospital. The baby's fresh. But he has so many, he or she has so many negative qualities. It's, uh, where's the refund? Where's the, where's the money back guarantee? Where's my purchase protection? And this, and the point is, you see, children, children are born with terrible character traits. They're lazy often. They get angry if something doesn't go their way. They're very, very selfish. I'm hungry in the middle of the night. Can you imagine if I was hungry in the middle of the night and I called up Ron? Ron, I'm hungry. Give me food. 
I'm hungry, give me food. And kids do that every single night. It's outrageous. It's the most unselfish thing. They, they care only about themselves. Anything goes wrong, everything has to stop for them. <laughs> no, they are just they're just bad humans. Because they're born with the mission to fix what they have broken. They're born broken and their job is to fix that. And that's why we have a Torah. Because a Torah gives us laws and gives us it's like a pathway. It's a roadmap. Uh, it's, it's guidelines that if we follow them, we'll perfect ourselves. So we have so many mitzvahs because we have so many things that we need to fix. Our life here is one of trying to attempt to fix ourselves, to perfect ourselves, to attain ethical and character refinement. How do we do that? What tools do we have? Where do we start? Where is the instruction book? Well, that's the Torah. The Torah, the, the word Torah... Be'ivrit in Hebrew means instructions. It's the instruction. Instructions for what? Instructions for life. What do you mean life? Oh, who, who, you know. It means in the in the life and the requirement and the mission that we are all entrusted with of attaining character perfection. Therefore, there's so many aspects of our character that need perfection, and these mitzvahs are tools that we use to help ourselves. So this answers, A, what the, what's the purpose of mitzvahs? Why are we doing them? It's because we're going to perfect ourselves. Why are there so many? Why are there so many mitzvahs? Because there's so many facets and areas of our life that need perfection. And uh, this uh, idea satisfactorily answers the question. But I want to quickly finish the last idea because that's where it has the golden ticket. And this is a, a tremendous uh, commentary of Rambam. Rambam is known in English as... Maimonides, he lived when? 1200s. 1200s, well, very good, yeah. He lived uh, in the 12th century. He was born in 1135 uh, in Spain. He ended up in Egypt, and he died in 1204. Uh, well, this legend that, uh, I think he died in Egypt. He's buried in Tveria. Right, well, Ramchal lived in, yeah, Ramchal's 17th, uh, 18th century. Yeah, well, he was born in Italy, and they actually kicked him out of Italy. It's a scandal. Well, he, they thought he was dealing with a lot of mysticism, so they, they, were, they were very aware of that. Anyhow, so Maimonides writes, has a commentary on the Mishnah, and he has a comment, a very famous statement, and this is the genesis of my idea to compile the class, Golden Ticket. What does he say? It is a fundamental principle of our faith. This is my own translation, so I can add words. And, uh, that when a person does one of the 613 mitzvahs properly and does it with absolutely no external intentions, rather for its sake and out of love of God, he will merit through it the eternal life. And this is the meaning of Rochanina's statement. Rochanina was the author of the statement number one, yeah. That because there are innumerable mitzvahs, it is impossible for a person uh, that a person will not do at least one of them in proper fashion, and that mitzvah will give his soul eternal life. So Mo quoted a Mishnah that says every Jew has a portion of the world to come. Where do they get it? You just you just you just have it for free? Huh? It's based upon this because there's an assumption inherent in everyone's life that there'll at least be one time in throughout their 70, 80, 90, 150 year life where they'll do a mitzvah and they won't do it because 
oh, everyone else is doing it, or it's on Facebook, or someone else will see what I'm doing, and they'll think I'm a good guy, right? Or I'm doing it because uh, because of X, Y, and Z. I'm doing it because that's what the Almighty says. It's a mitzvah of the Torah. I may or may not understand it. I may or may not uh, have any other reason why I'm doing it. I'm doing it only for one reason, for its sake, because the Almighty says, and, that, and, that, and that's what I'm doing. That mitzvah, that activity, is his golden ticket to the world to come. It's that one... It's the entry. It's it's it, it's the it's the ticket uh, of entry that you need to have a certain uh, a, a seat in the arena to to uh, uh, to uh, for eternal life. This uh, mitzvah gives your soul spiritual energy that it could subsist in a spiritual world. It has to be done in a specific way. A mitzvah you don't just can't just do any mitzvah. You have to do a mitzvah perfectly. Not doing it for any other ulterior purposes. You're doing it for one reason, lishma for its sake. It's a mitzvah the Almighty gave me, and that's why I'm doing it. But you do even one of them, you have yourself a golden ticket. And therefore, says Rabbi Hanina, while yes, having so many mitzvahs is going to present us many, many challenges, and in a certain degree, maybe it was better if we all, all we had was one. Yes, there is so much risk. But the Almighty gave us so many opportunities because invariably these opportunities will lead that one time, one time, one instance, just sometimes someone will do something just for its own sake. And that, while a person may not look at that point in his life as the apex of their spirituality, it may be uh, just some act of kindness that you did. You just wanted to do an act of kindness. That's just the right thing to do. That's what I want to do. Not because someone else will notice or, or you, you know, because... You need to have your kindness. To, you need to, uh, to, you know, you need to be, you know, because that's what the Almighty wants. That's what's right to do. That may be your golden ticket. That'll get you in the door. That is spiritual nourishment for your soul for eternity. There's actually a story. Maimonides, I, I cut it off before the end, um, but he reads a story, a fascinating story about a fellow by the name of Oso Hanina. Rabbi Hanina, but a different Rabbi Hanina. Because Rabbi Hanina on top, Hanina was a very popular name. It was like Joseph or David or Jacob uh, back in uh, in uh, 2,000 years ago. So this guy on top is Hanina ben Akashia. His father's name was Akashia. Also a very popular name. The Connor of its day. Um, the the Hanina that we're talking about is Hanina ben Trajan, son of Trajan. Uh, and he is famous for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that he was one of the people that the Romans murdered in a very gruesome and public fashion because he went against the Hadrianic persecution. What is the Hadrianic persecution? I would advise everyone to Google it. Hadrian was the Roman emperor who became emperor in the year 117. And one of the things that he said, he had a decrees against the local Jewish population, was, number one, they can't do circumcision. And we know anytime the Gentiles ban anything, it's circumcision is always on top of the list. Greeks did it, even as recently as this past century the, in USSR. Well, yeah, the, this is one thing that Gentiles cannot, cannot understand. Like, it's just, it's, they're always targeting it. Uh, but another thing was public study of Torah was banned. And this fellow, Rabbi Hanina ben Hanina uh, Trajon, he said, I don't care, Torah is something which is so crucial. And he taught Torah, and he was studying Torah with a Torah scroll. And the Romans came, and they wrapped him in the Torah scroll, and they lit him on fire. Oh. Yes. And, and they specifically wanted to, in 
exacerbate his pain, so they kept him alive. They put, they soaked wool in water and placed it on his heart so that he would stay alive. Very gruesome, but the point is, is that this gives us a picture of, of, of this person's dedication to Jewish continuity. He says, listen, Torah ceases from the Jewish people, the Jewish people themselves cease. And I'm going to study Torah regardless. And I'm going to teach Torah regardless, and that it was eventually his demise. That's who we're talking about. So what happened, what was the story with him? He asked, he asked someone, uh, there was some guy walking around uh, who had an eye for the future, and he said to me, he said to them, uh, he asked this person, do I have a portion of the world to come? And he asked them, do you ever do a mitzvah without any other motive involved? So he said to them, yes. He says, I am the Siddhartha collector. He was like uh, in charge, the treasurer of the local charity fund. And once he had some personal monies and they got mixed in, commingled with the charity funds. And he didn't know, was it this is money? Was that his money? So he said, you know what? I'm giving it all to charity. And that was, and, and the Talmud says, this was his mitzvah that he did uh, perfectly. And this is his ticket, his golden ticket, so to speak. Someone who was so dedicated to Torah study, to Jewish continuity, he was willing to give up his life as he in fact did. This is his, this is the story, like this is his entry. So Maimonides uses this story as a proof that it has to be a mitzvah that's done perfectly. It's done it could be a simple mitzvah. Who knows how much money it was? Was it five dollars? Was it they probably used they used dinars. Or, but how much money was it? Probably it might have not been so much money. But it was a mitzvah he said, I'm just gonna give all of it to, to, to charity. I'm gonna give a little bit extra to charity. This one little mitzvah, that was the peak of his spiritual life. This is his golden ticket. We no one knows what your golden ticket is gonna be. No one knows what is the mitzvah that you're gonna do perfectly and will gain you entry to a, a spiritual uh, eternal life. But there's so many opportunities for it, and that's a tremendous benefit for us because invariably we too will encounter our opportunity for uh, spiritual uh, eternity. And um, that's already 9.15, but I wanted to do a callback here uh, to what we talked about at the beginning. We said that everything is in remembrance for for leaving Egypt, right? All the mitzvahs, so many mitzvahs, and so much, so much of our Jewish life is is surrounding, uh, is surrounding leaving Egypt. And um, this uh, young woman here, I don't know your name, Fanny. Fanny. Uh, oh, I do know you. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> we're good friends on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, so Fanny said that the reason why it's such a, a, a critical part of Jewish life is because this was a time where the Jewish people experienced in a clear fashion the Almighty's dominion. And uh, what the commentators say is that every mitzvah, every single mitzvah, there's one underlying concept. And that is, you're doing a mitzvah because that's what the Almighty told you. Like Maimonides says, you're doing a mitzvah because you love God. Because that's because that, God, God asked you to do it, it required you to do it, and, that, and, 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 and that, that's why you did it. So, 613 mitzvahs, but it's really one mitzvah. And that one mitzvah, uh, which is faith or believe in God's dominion, was at its peak at the uh, at, at, at leaving, at, at the Exodus. And every mitzvah that we do today 
we're kind of going back a little bit and having a mini little exodus, a mini little experience where we're testifying to the dominion of God. Hence, this one episode that happened 3,300 years ago is not just recounting, memorializing some story, but it's reliving the purpose of our faith. And we do that, A, with remembering it because it's so important, but also with mitzvahs, because mitzvahs bring us back to that. So that's, uh, that's, those are my thoughts. And uh, I want to say that we have so many mitzvahs, so many opportunities. Let's go, let's go out there. Everyone make sure uh, that you grab yourself a golden ticket. You want to make sure you have your foot in the door. And and uh, everyone have a wonderful Passover. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak here. I had so many wonderful experiences here when I used to teach here a, a while back, and it's lovely. I hope I'll, I hope you'll get invited back, Johnny. Will I get invited back? You're always invited. Okay, <laughs> thank you, and everyone have a wonderful okay. Passover. Um, May fifth. Big barbecue happening poolside by John Dramazian. Uh, Yomat Maut. Hadass is providing us with flags and music.